0: We um man, what a fun season we are in, guys. What a wonderful season to press in, to lean into the Lord, and to have him speak and to have him lead and to have him guide. I was just so encouraged a few weeks ago when Mike and Christy got up here and kind of did the state of the union. And many things were said and they were all great, but I walked away going, we are a church that's positioning ourselves to be led by the Spirit. I love that. Do you know how rare that is? That's very rare. That we only see this far, and so we're going to do what the Lord has called us to do, and then we're asking, when we get there, that He'll unveil and that He'll he'll reveal the things that He has for us to do as a people. That is precious. And I went on vacation a few uh, a few weeks ago, probably about four weeks ago, and I just had the Lord. I, I like to, when I go on vacation, I like to pick one book of the Bible and just dive into it for like three, four, five days. And so I've done this for some years now, and, and I was asking the Lord, what should I study? What, what book of the Bible do you want me to, or what theme, or what and I heard him whisper, study the book of Romans. You know, and, and that's not like the, va- the vacation <laughs> diet book, you know. <laughs> it's like the, you got, some, you got some depth there. You got some meat there. Mike said, you know, Romans is like this meaty sandwich. And we're going to focus on Romans 8. And Romans 8 is like that steak right in the middle that you just sink your teeth into. And I was being... Ministered to personally, and I was enjoying it. But then I got to Romans 8, and I realized why the Lord had me to to study this book. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it's because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and He wanted to reposition my heart, realign my heart around the Spirit of life. He's the Spirit of life. His other title in the Romans 8 is he's the Spirit of God. The very Spirit of the Father. The Revelation 4, sitting on a throne, shining with this diamond-like, jasper, sardius, red light coming from him. Seraphim gazing upon him. Bowing down, crying out, holy. Seven flames of God are burning before him. That very God Put his spirit in you. He's also titled the spirit of Christ. And Paul just like uses these titles interchangeably. But there is such depth under each one. The spirit of the mediator. The spirit of the intercessor of heaven. The spirit of the high priest dwells in you. We don't have to... Go find where Jesus is and get in front of him and press through a crowd and try to touch the hem of his garment. He's inside of us. He lives on a throne in heaven and he poured out the spirit of truth and he lives on the inside of you. He's the spirit of adoption. He's the spirit of sonship. And as I was just meditating on the Holy Spirit these last few days, my prayer has been oh, make us soft. Oh, make us tender. Oh, let us not get prideful. Oh, let us follow your every whisper, your every leading. I mean, we, with unveiled face, this is 2 Corinthians 3. It says, To this day, and this is true, you talk to an Orthodox Jew, to this day, when they read the law, when they read the book of Moses, a veil lies over their face and they cannot see the glory of Jesus Christ in the Old Covenant. When the law and the prophets testified to his coming, testified to his coming, there's a demonic veil and they can't see the glory of Jesus. We live in a day that when we turn to the Lord, that veil is totally ripped away. Who does the ripping away? The Holy Spirit. And we get to behold with unveiled face, that's what that means, we get to behold the glory of Jesus. And when we behold him in prayer, when we behold him in worship, when we behold him by Holy Spirit-empowered good works, when we behold him in the Word... We get to be changed into the glory of Jesus Christ. And who does this changing? It is the Lord. And then he says, who is the Spirit? I was looking at this yesterday and I was going, oh, I just had this picture of people getting before the throne and saying in their heart, why didn't I do this more while I was on the earth? I had access with unveiled face to behold the glory of Jesus, why did I not do this more? And that phrase shocked me because I don't do it enough. And I probably do it more than most and I don't do it enough. And I want to do it more. I want to talk to Him more. I want to behold Him more. I want to be changed into glory more. The farther you go in the Lord, the more infinite it all becomes. The farther you go in God, the more you see that there is to behold. That's why those seraphim, holy, 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 and they fall face down. The Lord made them with eyes. Can you imagine the first day the Lord created the seraphim, and their eyes were closed? I mean, this would have been the funnest thing in the world if you were God, right? And he breathes life into them, and their eyes open, and they go, Ah! And it starts. Isn't that beautiful? But we are called to do that. So I just jumped into the middle of my message, but Romans 8 is beautiful. Romans 9, 10, 11 is beautiful as well. Romans 12, 13, but but I just, we're going to camp here in Romans 8, and I just want to do a little lead up to Romans 8. Because I think it's really helpful if we read and meditate on Romans 8 in the context that it was given. So Paul first starts, this, is, this will be my first slide, Romans 1, 6 through 6-17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That just means the righteousness of God is revealed and it begins when you put your faith in Jesus and it continues always as we remain having faith in Jesus. And it says, The righteous shall live by faith. And so that's Paul's premise. He's preaching the gospel. It's the power of salvation, it's the righteousness of God revealed for us. Guys, God is a God. Of love, but if he did not do something about our sin, if he did not do something about our unrighteous state, we would never be able to experience that love. But he did something through his son. But then Paul's next statement is talking about wrath. He says, But, or for, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talks to the Gentile in chapter 2 and he says, you're unrighteous and you're ungodly and you're deserving of wrath because of these things. And then he talks to the Jew in chapter, end of chapter 2, chapter 3, he says, you're ungodly and you're deserving of wrath because of these things. And he puts everyone into the same camp. We're all deserving of the wrath of God. But he didn't stop there. And then you get to the wonderful culmination of this thought in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bore witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all have fallen short, but God has revealed a righteousness, and he puts his righteousness on you as you put your faith in your son. It's an imputed righteousness. He puts it inside of you, and he declares you righteous. It says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God put forward Jesus as a payment for his wrath. His wrath had to be poured out on something. God had to remain just. He couldn't just glance over sin. He had to remain who he was. But he also wanted to be the justifier of everyone in this room. So what did he do? The Father and the Son had a conversation and Jesus said, I'm going to take that wrath and that you can remain just. They can have my righteousness and we can be a family forever. So beautiful. It's the gospel of the righteousness of God being given to you. And then in chapter five, he moves on and he says this, this is what this righteousness has purchased. Okay, this is wonderful. It has purchased peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you get to come into that courtroom, you get to come into that throne room before the judge of all and there's no accusation against you. There's peace. It's also purchased access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now Paul unfolds this in chapter 5. We don't get to get there. But man read the last few paragraphs of chapter 5 if you want to just dive into what does the grace of God look like? He's also purchased that we get to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Guys, you will rejoice in future hope of experiencing God's glory forever. Did you know that? We get to rejoice that today we are looking forward to how God is going to pour out His glory this afternoon and this evening, and tomorrow morning. We get to rejoice that God is going to send his son to return, and you're going to experience a manifestation of of glory that your mind can't even comprehend right now. Your body is going to be made new. Your mind is going to be renewed. You're going to have the Holy Spirit inside of you and in your flesh like never before. You will never be tempted by sin. You will never be tempted to disobey god you will walk in perfect love and perfect joy in perfect freedom and not only that you're going to get to go into the very physical presence of god in his throne room holy spirit inside holy spirit outside ah 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 and we're just going to fall down and worship and then we're going to go let's take over the earth for jesus For a thousand years, we're going to take over the earth for Jesus. And then who knows what happens at the new heavens and the new earth. But you know what I think? We're still going to be taking things over for Jesus. So there is future glory that we just, oh, it gets me going. And then chapter 5 reveals that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That last phrase, hope does not disappoint or hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, I go to this verse time and time again. I need love. Fill me with love. Now, if this is where we stand in God, what about sin? And Paul spends two chapters on sin. He tells us in chapter 6, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, That you were buried with Christ. That you've been raised with Christ. That that act of baptism, the faith that is behind that, it's not the water that washes us, but it's the faith that we're putting in Jesus. That public declaration represents you've been buried with him and your sin stayed in the ground. And now you live with him and you come up and you're raised with him in life forevermore. So that's the reality. And Paul says, we should consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, just like Jesus died to sin, for sin, and then was raised into everlasting life. But, and I'm so glad Paul went this direction in chapter 7, but he says, there's a war. There's a fight. This is... A battle that you're engaged in and you have many battles to go until the war is won. And he talks about this a little bit. He says, the truth is I'm dead to sin and alive to God. But, verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many of you have ever, post-believer, you've put your faith in Jesus... You've ever had the desire to do what was right, but you found yourself lacking the ability to carry it out. My hand, my other hand, my pinky toe, it's all up. (laughs) Sorry, wow. I didn't mean to jump around, just getting old. Leg day, whoo, okay. (laughs) And Paul says, Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil is close at hand. Oh, that's so true. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's just talking, that's the fight of sin. That's the fight to resist sin. But then he rejoices. He says this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer is this. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he delivers us from the body of death. Now, that's wonderful. But Paul ends that thought with, there's still a battle. The next sentence. So then, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So, what happens when we sin when we are a believer? What happens when we aren't in the ideal state and we find ourselves struggling? And then Paul takes us to Romans 8. He says, the spirit is what happens. The ability that you didn't have in yourself that he was talking about in chapter 7... That ability comes from the Spirit. That power comes from the Spirit. That anointing comes from the Holy Spirit to deny your flesh, die to yourself, and live for God. But the sin that you committed as a believer, guess what? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilty verdict that was on your life due to sin... Through the blood of Jesus, that is removed. Now that condemnation, we, we use that a lot, like don't condemn yourself. Here in this context, that means going to hell. That means unrighteous before the throne of God. That means you can't be in his presence. Those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no going to hell. You get to repent of your sin, but guys, don't stay a Romans 7 believer. Don't stay a believer that goes, oh, I'm struggling with sin, and you know, I just, I'm just never going to get over this. I'm just, I'm just going to give in to this. That's not good. That leads to death, because then you're going to give in to another sin and just go, oh, that's okay, and that leads to death. You're going to give in another sin. Oh, that's okay. That pulls you Away from experiencing the power and the presence of God. But when you wage war against your sin, guess what? For the law of the spirit of life is going to set you free from the law of sin and death. Now that happens in small ways as we encounter sin and we say, No, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from that. I will not bow to that. I will not live in that. I have been given an ability, and it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the next chapter. I'm preaching, and I'm losing my breath up here. Verse 3. Here's another justification statement. We had one, and it was... I just remembered I'm not going by my notes at all, but that's okay. (laughs) That was my pause. I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. We had one justification statement. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then we had the evidence of that. The proof of that. Because in our life, the spirit of life is giving us freedom from sin and righteousness. Here's the second justification statement that you are justified before God. This is how God did it. For God has done what the, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that doesn't say... In sinful flesh, that says the likeness of sinful flesh, Jesus was sinless. He never gave into it. But he came for sin. What did God do? God condemned sin in the flesh, and I'll just add, of his son. God had to condemn sin in the flesh. A man had to pay for it. And Jesus took our condemnation. Oh, my goodness gracious. The whole chapter ends with this. Who can condemn you? Jesus is at the right hand of God. When Satan tries to condemn you, when sin tries to condemn you before the Lord, the Father just turns to Jesus. Oh, it was condemned in the flesh of my Son. And it says that Jesus is praying for us. It says that Jesus rose from the dead. And He's there as our intercessor. Oh, guys, thank you, Jesus, that there is no condemnation in you. But God, don't let us take this for granted. Guys, don't believe a sloppy grace message. Anyone that says, just stay in your sin, it's okay. You might not ever get victory over that. I don't think Jesus purchased that type of freedom for us. I think there was a grave that was ripped off Open by the resurrected Lord. And he stands saying, I have more for you. I have power for you. I have love for you. Let's go on. Good statements. All right, verse 4. In order, so Jesus did this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is another way to say, we've been given the spirit of life and it sets us free from the law of sin and death. It's, it has a purpose. It's so that we can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. But you say, Marcus, we, can't, we don't do the law anymore. That's true. Jesus walked perfectly before God, never committing a sin, never stepping outside of the law of God and he was that perfect sacrifice and he purchased that righteousness for us. But there's still something that we're to fulfill. Let's go to the next slide, Romans 13. This is what I think the requirement of the law that is to be fulfilled in us is. It says, Paul says in verse thirteen or chapter 13, "'Owe no one anything except to love each other, "'for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law.'" There it is. But he's gonna say it more clear at the end. "'For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, "'you shall not murder, you shall not steal, "'you shall not covet.'" And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So we don't have to go to the next slide. So Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned sin in the flesh of his son in order that you might fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Which I think other scriptures speak to this too. It's love. In order that you could love. Jesus said it. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. How are we going to fulfill that love? We're going to walk with the Spirit. We're going to be led by the Spirit. Amen? Let's keep going. Let's go to Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit... They set their minds on things of the Spirit. Another way I like to say this is, is those who live according to the flesh, they obey the sinful nature. They set their minds on the sinful nature and they obey that nature. But those who live according to the Spirit, we set our minds, we set our hearts, we set our affections on the Spirit who is God inside of us, who is God. Christ inside of us. I just had this thought as I was preparing this. So we set our minds on things of the Spirit. Another way I like to say that is what does the Spirit desire? If the Spirit is the third person of the Godhead and He's a real person, what does He desire? Guys, Ask that question and read the New Testament and just search that out. That's a fun question. But I was thinking, the Spirit, he desires us to remember the words of Jesus, not in like a stoic way where we just memorize and da-da-da-da, but in an internal way to remember the words of Jesus and then give us power to obey. John 14, he said, Jesus said, I will send the helper and he will remind you of what I said. And then he says, and then peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. God, guys, when we get reminded of the words of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and we lean into him and say, help, us to, help me to obey this, there is peace. There is active peace in your life. But not only that, Jesus said in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, to his disciples, that you can't bear right now. Now, That would have been sad if that statement ended there, right? It doesn't end there. Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you that you cannot bear. But he says, but I'm going to send the spirit of truth and he is going to take my future words And he's going to tell you about things to come. He's not going to speak on his own authority. But what I tell him to say, he will say to you. And then you will glorify me in the earth. Isn't that amazing? We have direct communication. Jesus has thoughts, has plans, has desires for your life. And he's whispering them to the spirit. Are you spending time... Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you. Are you talking to him about it? He wants to talk to you about everything. He wants to teach us everything. I'm so grateful for that revelation. So he wants to teach you how to be one who carries his glory in the workplace. He wants to teach you how to do that. He wants to give you ideas and plans. He wants to show you He wants to teach you how to overcome every sin that you get tripped up in. He wants to show you. He wants to give you power. He wants to teach you things about your children. He wants to teach you things about your parents. He wants to teach you things about those around you. And then you get to speak life into those people and truth into those people. Oh, the Spirit desires a lot. I have a lot written in here, but we're just going to go on. Four, to set... The mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's an indictment against our flesh, right? If we set our mind on it, and when... I when this word mind is used in Romans chapter 8. It's referring to what he was talking about in Romans chapter 7. My inner being desires to follow the law of God. My affections, my emotion, it's not just a mental assent, though you do have to think about it. How many of you have ever set your affections on something and found a love in something that is outside the will of God? or pulls you, it's, it becomes an idol and it pulls you. But you have real like, affection for it. You have real desire for it. It's, it's alive inside of you. Our mind isn't just our mental capacity, it's, it's what we attach ourselves to. I've shared the example before when I moved to Colorado Springs, you know, it's like everyone, everyone in the world ran a marathon. Everyone I talked to, have you run a marathon? i ran a marathon. And I was a runner in high school and I, I like to run I don't love to run. I like to run. And I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. And I found myself spending all this time practicing and all this time running and all this time da-da-da-da. And it wasn't wasn't sinful. It wasn't bad. I was listening to scripture. I was praying as I was doing it. But I had set my affection on something. And I remember when I got injured, having a conversation with the Lord. And he said, did you talk to me about running marathons? And I was like, "I, I didn't. Guys, it can be something like that. Did you talk to me about that fantasy football league? Sorry. Did you talk to me about, and you can, yeah, car, whatever. You can just fill in the gap. What are your affections clinging to? Is that the will of God for your life? Talk to the Holy Spirit about it. He might wanna redeem it. He might wanna, yeah, I put that inside of you. You're stepping outside the will of God in that affection. Now let me show you how to use that affection for my purpose and my glory. Then it doesn't become about the thing or the idol. It becomes about Jesus. And that bike club turns into an evangelistic tool to witness to your neighbors. Amen. But to set your mind on the flesh, it's death. You become hostile to God. You do not want to submit to God's law. You become insubordinate to his will. And then he just makes a statement, you can't please him. There's no hope. Oh, but then we got the next statements. Here we go. You guys ready for some encouragement? Verse 9. However, you, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Everyone say amen. Amen. Everyone who names the name of Jesus in this room, and if you don't name the name of Jesus, if you don't believe in him, and you want what I'm talking about, give your life to him today. If you want power over fleshly things that are leading you to death, and you're hostile to God, and you don't want to be that way, give your life to Jesus, and experience the gift and the sealing and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, I don't want to live without the Holy Spirit. I was talking to someone about his marriage the other day, and and he wasn't a believer, and I was I, I said, and he was asking me for advice. I was like, my only advice is that I'm a son of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I talk to the Spirit about my marriage. And I talk to the Spirit about my anger and my frustration, and I ask him help. I ask him to, to recreate me and reshape me into the image of Jesus. He did say, he's like, that sounds good. You want to give your life to Jesus? No, not yet. Okay. Take that blinder off, Lord. We are not to set our minds on the things of the flesh. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now I replace that word is with gives because the translators do it differently and I think it's better. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness because you are standing in a righteous place before the Father because of the blood of the Son. So the Spirit looks at you and he gives life because he sees you as one who is righteous, as one who is just like Jesus and he wants to empower you just like he empowered Jesus when Jesus was a man. Our, when we look to what does the Spirit want for our lives, it is Jesus for every single one of you. Now, you're going to work that out differently. You're going to act a little differently in that. But he wants you to look and act and think like Jesus. Let's go on. Oh, oh, oh. Here it is. Oh, no, verse 11. (laughs) Ha ha, there you go. Tim? can testify to this one. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Life to mortal bodies. Not just life to be free from sin, not just life to overcome internal things, life to overcome death and disease. And guys, whenever we are affronted with sickness, we are affronted with disease, we are affronted with broken bodies, go to Romans 8 and remember the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. There was only one person in that tomb with Jesus, and it was the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God in the tomb. I had an encounter with the Lord yesterday in this, and I just had this picture in my mind, and I felt this grief that the Holy Spirit had for the son in the tomb. And then I felt this zeal when he said, no more. And he raised up Jesus from the dead. Yeah. Guys, that no more, that zeal for resurrection, that rel- that, that's in the mind of the Holy Spirit. He wants that for us. I'm doing this every time. I don't care who dies. In the name of Jesus, be raised from the dead. We're going to get some, and we got one. (laughs) Tim. In the name of Jesus. Guys, when we were in that hotel room that first night, the atmosphere just began to change. That fear began to be pushed back. The glory of the Lord began to be revealed. The scriptures God wanted us to pray began to come forth And everything turned around from that moment. Oh, amen, amen. And not just us, all the other intercessors, everyone, everyone was praying. But that was our experience in that room. Can I finish? Is that okay? We only have five verses. Verse 12. (laughs) My glass. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. This zeal got inside of me yesterday as I was praying into this. Guys, you don't owe the flesh anything anymore. You did. Before Jesus, you weren't free. Before the spirit of life, you couldn't claim freedom. But now, when your flesh demands that you have anxiety, you say no by the power of the spirit of life. When your flesh demands that you turn on pornography, you say no by the power of the spirit of life. When your flesh demands, and you can just fill in the blank, depression, you say no by the power of the spirit of life. He is the spirit that pours the love of the Father into my heart. But it's not just the spirit that does it by himself. You can't lay in bed and say, Holy Spirit, make me breakfast. You can't. You can't just not partner with him. It's the spirit and you, and you and the spirit. And it is mysterious, and I can't explain it fully, but it works. It is faith. It is the gift of righteousness. And then when you slip up, you remember, I am not in debt to my flesh. Its demands have nothing on me. He says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, guys, not just surviving, not just resisting the deeds of the body, putting to death. You can put to death sexual immorality in your life. It can be that it never comes up again. In your life. Now you might have to still do a little resisting. But you can put that thing in the ground. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul wants us to recognize here. You've been given an ability. And then it says verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit. They are sons of God. How are people going to know if you're a son of God? It's going to be this activity is going on in your life. How are they going to know you're a daughter of God? How do you know you're a son of God and you're a daughter of God? It's because you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, I think many in this room go, there's some things that need to die. There's some things I've been clinging to. There's some things I've been giving my affection to that need to die. Guys, this afternoon, take some time and talk to the Holy Spirit about that. We're going to have just a little bit of time at the end. I know we're going late, but we're going to have some time where we put some of these things to death. The Spirit has freedom this morning for you. Then verse 15. Oh, one of the most glorious two verses, three verses in the New Testament. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the Spirit of of adoption as sons or the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness or testifies to our spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that we are God's children. How many, how many of you in here would say, I am God's child? There is a Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit that that is the truth. Now, because that is true, you do not have to respond to fear. You have not been given a spirit of fear. You have been given power. You have been given God, Jesus, Holy Spirit-infused love. You've been given right thinking by the Holy Spirit. And if you are falling back into that slavery of fear, lean into the Holy Spirit and break it off. And you do that by a cry that he gives you that arises in your heart that cries out, Abba Father. In the Aramaic, that was a testimony, that was a that was a an endearing term for a father. It conveyed trust, it conveyed intimacy, it conveyed confidence. It was the phrase in Mark uh, 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane in the book of Mark, Jesus says. Abba, Father, in one of the most vulnerable times of his life as a human, in one of the most authentic, where you really see, oh, Jesus was a man. I mean, it's shocking when you read it. He goes, Abba, Father, if this cup could pass from me. He says, oh, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, the fact that Jesus Gets to call his God, Abba, Father. And then Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, communicates that you get to use that same language to God. Guys, cry out to him. Talk to him about everything. No matter where you are in your Christian walk. No matter how I was, I was so convicted yesterday about how much time during the day I don't say, Abba, Father, and talk to him about things. Oh, it's a precious gift. And then he says, And if we are children of God, <laughs> verse 17, then we are heirs. There's a kingdom coming. There's a king on a throne. And he has heirs. He has those next in line to inherit. He's gone before us. He's inherited his resurrected body as a man. Jesus will be a man forever. He's not coming back as a giant in the sky. He's coming back riding on a cloud because he's a little five-foot-two Jewish man. Every eye is going to see him. It's not going to work. We've got to get clouds. And he's going to stay that way forever. But it's a resurrected body. He's the first fruits of that resurrection. He's the first fruits of that inheritance as a man the father gave him all authority. The father gave him a kingdom. The father gave him the, the, that all people should worship him. And he goes, and I'm looking for people to rule and reign with. And you get to be an heir of a kingdom. And guys, that kingdom is constantly advancing, constantly unfolding, constantly getting better. Our identity is not American's. Our identity is not our country's. Our identity is we are sons and daughters of another kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's things we have to do in America. I think there's things that we can uphold. But we don't uphold them as Americans. We uphold them as ambassadors of another kingdom. Amen. Amen. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Paul goes into that a little bit more in the next verse. I don't have it. But he says, he talks about the suffering and this glory. (laughs) He says, guys, the suffering of this present time, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us when Jesus returns. The glory that will be revealed in us when we stand before the throne of God. And guys, that's sufferings of this present time. It doesn't mean if someone doesn't have a gun to your head that you're not suffering for Jesus. You put to death the deeds of the flesh, that's a suffering in this present time. There's pain that's involved in that. It's, it's work with the Holy Spirit. Our culture, you just walk outside You just go to the outlets and you have to suffer the present time and I'm not going to give myself to that. I'm not going to, oh, gosh. And You groan in your spirit. This isn't right. But guys, with Heidi and in Mozambique right now, I guarantee this statement is true. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. That woman has sewed into Mozambique, has sewed into the spirit. And she knows the glory that is awaiting her on the other side. She knows no matter what believer dies, there is glory that they are stepping into. Every type of suffering, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay, let's stand. James, would you just Come and tinkle the ivories a little bit. Mike, why don't you come up and... I just felt in my heart, I want to I pray this. Actually, I'll just tell you, I just felt like we are supposed to pray for freedom from the deeds of the flesh. Freedom from bondage of sin. And then, let's pray for that, but then you want to add anything to it?
1: I, I just feel if there's, if there's anyone in this place, <laughs> what Marcus just went through was so beautiful, as you see, and, and it ends with the spirit of Christ living inside of us to empower us. This is the walk that we get to have. But if we, I, I just don't want anyone to leave this place. Uh, Marcus was talking with someone yesterday. I was talking with someone yesterday at the food bank and, uh, and just got to share Jesus with them. And at the end, they just said, man, I love everything you're saying. I love it all. I'm just not ready. And there's just something in me that just went, no. Like, don't don't leave this place going, I'm just not ready. Like, you don't know. I mean, here's Tim, living example. You just don't know when our last day is going to be on this earth. And we don't... (laughs) God's God's desire is that all would come to the knowledge of God, that all would know Him. And so I just don't want anyone to leave this place going, I'm just not ready. Today's your day. And I I, I just want to say, don't walk out of this place. If you've, two things, I think, if you've never come to the Lord, and, and again, if you say, well, I've prayed that prayer, it's not about a prayer. Don't don't get stuck on a prayer people I I hate it that like the church goes just say this prayer okay you're good no it's about a relationship with Jesus it's about a heart turned towards him that says yes I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit so I just feel like if, if there's if that's you I want I just feel like like you just need to come up and uh and you might be way out of your comfort zone be like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I just, it's not about everyone in this place will be so excited that you're coming into the kingdom or you're coming back to him. And you may be like, well, everyone thinks I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter. Your, your walk is, is it's between you and him, but I just, there's something about acknowledging it before men as well. There's just to say, God, I'm going to live for you. And so I just felt like there's an invitation this morning. Maybe you haven't been living for the Lord. Maybe you haven't been walking with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, but, but you're still like, every day is a battle. That there's something more that you can be empowered with. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes to live on the inside of you. So I just I want there to be that invitation. So even as as Marcus just prays into this, if that's you, don't leave this place. I want you to come up and, and just say yes. And we're going to pray with you. And it's it's the and maybe it's that coming back or maybe it's that first step into it to say yes. And I believe the second part of it is that is this putting off the old and and taking on the new We're we're a new creation created in Christ Jesus but sometimes we don't realize it or we're not walking in it and I believe there's an invitation this morning just to allow the Holy Spirit to actually empower you to put on the new but it requires taking off the old you cannot here's the problem sometimes we go well just put on the new it actually says you have to take off the old first and that's that dying to self, and then you can put on the new. It's a two-step process, and it, it, it's about faith. It's faith in Him. When you say, yes, I put my trust in Him, I put my faith in Him, that then you die, that then you can be raised up. So it's taking off the old and putting on the new. Amen.
0: Amen. So as I pray, and as, if that's you, just come down to the front. Let's all bow our heads Lord we come to you as your children or maybe we come to you as your children today for the first time and God we say everything that hinders that requirement of love love being fulfilled in us love being poured out in us everything that hinders it we ask that it would be broken off by the power of the Holy Spirit Right now. Right now. Addiction broken off right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sexual immorality broken off right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Envy, jealousy, strife, dissensions broken off right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where we have given ourselves to any type of sorcery, broken off right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any type of of magic or, or wicked arts broken off right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We bring before you our sin and we lay it at the altar and we say, we are dead to sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and we are alive to the Spirit of God. We are dead to sin by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are alive to God. We are to be used by God. We are to be filled with the life of God. Right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, any demonic energy, any demonic forces, we say you have to loose your grip in the name of Jesus right now. You have to loose your grip in the name of Jesus right now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, we declare freedom to see Jesus, freedom to be transformed into His glory right now, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Let's just make this declaration right now. And it's going to be, it's it's just something in the heart. It starts in the heart. It's not just, but it is is spoken with your mouth. There is a declaration, but it's lived out in the heart. And it's a day-to-day walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. So say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I lay my life down before you. Have your way. I surrender it all to you. As a son or a daughter, I surrender to you. I live a life in reverent submission to you. And I ask that you would empower me by your spirit to walk in the fullness of life, to carry your love, to walk in your ways, to be a son, to be a daughter in Christ. From this day forward, I live for you. I set my eyes upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand, would you?